If you're law enforcement, stop and listen to me right now. If you're a police department that does not have an LPR system, Insight is offering the first 10 agencies, that means one agency apiece, gets one camera for free. You have to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. You heard me right. If you're a police agency that does not have an LPR system yet, or does have an LPR system, and you're not happy with the product you have, Insight is offering you a free camera, no strings attached, and they will install it. I have 10 to give out. Tell them two cops, one donut sent you, or reach out to me, and I will get you in contact. If you're a business owner or an HOA, please stop and listen to me right now. If you're just listening to the audio, do yourself a favor and watch the YouTube version of this episode to get a visual of what I'm about to tell you. I want to tell you guys about Insight LPR. It's a license plate reader. If your agency, community, or business is looking to invest in LPR to help solve and deter crime or to make your community safer, Insight LPR has my vote of confidence. I've met with their team. They know their LPRs, guys. Uh, They're the real deal. They bring over 75 years of collective experience to building LPR cameras and the software that supports communities across the country. The other thing I really like about this team is how much they listen to law enforcement. They understand the importance of working together with law enforcement and getting their input as they build and innovate products and their service to match the needs of law enforcement. In other words, when I complain or have suggestions to make their damn camera better, they actually do it. The Insight LPR team is extremely passionate and takes pride in their product development, which makes their cameras some of the most durable cameras in the market. For the gear nerds out there with that means is this stuff's made of military grade aluminum and is nitrogen purged whatever that means this design makes the cameras rugged and able to withstand harsh weather elements here's the big selling point for me their nighttime scan accuracy is higher than most of the leading competitors in my opinion this is what sets them apart as we know the majority of crimes occur at night so it's critical to have high scan accuracy at night insights cameras check the box with the nighttime plate read accuracy greater than 96% 96% guys that's pretty freaking high. If your community is looking to invest in LPR technology, reach out to one of their experts today or reach out to me. Tell them Two Cops, One Donut sent you. Coming up next on Two Cops, One Donut. I feel like I can only talk about it through dark humor with my boys, you know, drinking and doing that shit. That, that's yeah. the, that's the, the cycle for us. Uh, the dark humor and, and, and not talking to our family about it. We just talk to our boys who do the job. So, yeah. Or girls. No offense. No, and and that's the same with us. Uh, I think I found the same thing coming home and leaning on Shannon's shoulders. That was probably the best therapy that I could have done. And I had I had been through light bar therapy and talking to people and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the the one big help was support at home. And if you don't have that, yeah, I can see how guys do what they do. Yeah, and it's it's rough to see, but it's it definitely was. Mrs. Wymie, it definitely was Shannon that that pulled me back and has always kept me where I needed to be. That's cool. How how was the military um, as far as when you guys are coming back? Is was the military like pushing anything to help y'all? At first, they weren't. Then they started doing things, um, you know, retreats after we'd come back from deployment, uh, stopovers in Germany or something, decompression stops to spend a week and kind of decompress, Um, you know, coming back to Disney World, Disneyland with the family for a week or so after we'd come back. So they started implementing that sort of thing, which I think helped. Yeah. But that's well, I mean, shit, 20 year war or more. We learned a lot. Takes when, a toll. It, when, when, when it comes to the PTSD side, I don't even think they call it PTSD now. It's like yeah. PTSI or PTI, something like that. 
What's the uh, injury? Uh, yeah, it's and like I'd, a, I'd probably agree with that more. I yeah. call it PTS. PTS. I just, I just yeah. leave it at PTS because I don't think that it's a a disorder. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine, and one of my guests I've been looking forward to for quite some time, uh, a Navy SEAL. Um, you might remember him from the movie Act of Valor. Why me? How are you doing, brother? Good, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. Dude, I can't believe, one, I can't believe you agreed to come out here. We had a mutual friend, uh, a Sifu. Uh, a couple. I know Charles, too. So. Oh, yeah. Charles. Charles is on the same board with uh, with Kirk. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, I didn't know that. I thought you knew. No, 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 no. You don't know who he is? Uh-uh. I, I'm, I may. My, my memory is terrible anyway, but... It's close um, to mine then. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we... Kirk was the one that told me that he had a Navy SEAL after we did our show together. Yeah. Um, he did a, and if anybody wants to go back and watch that, we talked about um, martial arts and training and stuff uh, with police work. So we're, we're actually going to kind of go down that path a little bit again today. That's what the premise of this episode is going to be. We're going to talk about um, policing, police training versus military training. And um, I had, told Wyme over the phone. I was like, Hey man, I was like, one of the things I really want to talk about is, you know, I hear guys on Joe Rogan, like you'll get, um, some CIA guys, uh, Mike Baker. Um, he gets some Navy SEAL guys and they like to talk about police work and I get it, but they don't have the perspective of police work. Yeah. And it's hard for me to bite my tongue when I'm hearing what they're saying. And it's not that they're wrong, you know, it's just not realistic. For, yeah. for what they're asking, because in the military, it was realistic. That was very easy to do because that's all you do. You are your property in a, in a sense. And the military comes first above everything. And that's not how police work is. I got a family to come home to. I got a ton of responsibility, stuff like that here. And I'm not beholden to, you know, the, the same obligations that I am with the, the military. But we'll get into that before we yep. get, get into all that. Yeah, I was talking about Kirk's episode. So go back, check his out. We had a great discussion. Um, Kirk is big into uh, the Bruce Lee art. JKD. Kundi. Kundo. Do. Yep. Kundo. Yes. Yeah, he was talking about that. And uh, I was like, is that really a viable? Like, I don't know much about, is it really a street art? Like, is it something that would work for me in the field? It is. Um and I, I may be a little biased because I actually took it when I was, I don't know, 17 to when I went in the military, 22, 23. Okay. So I was well steeped in it, you know, and I had a lot of the instructors and the, the, the guys teaching me that had, that had taught him and taught previous guys to him too. Um, he's obviously far better than I am. I didn't do it in the military. So I have 20 years of not doing anything. And it was funny because I, I was driving around, I don't know what it was, three, four years ago. And I saw his Jeet Kune Do Dallas Fort Worth sign. I'm like, Jeet Kune Do, are you kidding me? Like, I haven't seen that name in forever. Right, it's and still I didn't around. think, yeah, it's, it's, well, I knew it would probably still, because it is a cool art. And it we'll get yeah. into that. Um, but you don't, you don't see too many of them. Right. You know, so I'm like, 
well, let me let me go in and check this out. And when I met Kirk, I'm like, oh, dude, this is legit. This is where we need to be because Kirk is is big on uh, on teaching the younger generation proper upbringing, you know, yeah. with hard work and discipline, respect, and all that stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And you and I both know that's what's missing in society today with the young folks. So we're like, that this is where I need to bring my kid and train. So yeah, very cool. Yeah. All right, Wyme. Well, before we get into the fun, fun stuff, um, I like doing what I call my little humanizing portion. I want people to understand where you came from, where your service heart came from, and all that stuff. So, where were you? Where were you brought up? You know, did you go to college? What, what's the deal? <clears throat> um, so, I was brought up in California, born oh, and raised in California. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> now, absolutely, great place when I was growing up for sure. But yeah. now it's a crap hole. So. Uh, out in the Mojave Desert. I don't know if you've been too far out there, but Never. it's near Death Valley. It's a little place called Ridgecrest. It's out in the Mojave Desert, like I said. But, um, you know, growing up, middle of the desert, chasing scorpions and rattlesnakes and, you know, hiking and camping and doing outdoor stuff. I love doing that. So that's, that's kind of how I grew up. But I came from a Navy background family. My brother was in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy. I think they both did four-year stints. Uh, my older sister actually did a full career in the Navy. Um, but I mostly went into the Navy because of my brother, my brother was, uh, he was, uh, what was he? Boats and mate on a nuclear cruiser. Oh, he only did four years, but you know, as soon as I started looking at that kind of career path, he's like, there's only two things you want to do. Go to college, be a pilot or go be a Navy SEAL. I'm like, eh. College, yeah, whatever. So yeah, I, uh, I looked at the Navy SEAL thing, and I didn't do much research, to be honest. I just kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll do this other thing that doesn't require me studying and spending time in a classroom because I'm sick of that crap, you know? Right. Then so, you go to the job that you have to <clears throat> study probably some of the most. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> People and don't understand now how I'm doing dive that. physics and dive medicine. I'm like, oh god, great, yeah. you know? But, yeah. But you're doing it based on cool shit yeah. that you want to do. Exactly. Yeah, that's the big difference. I don't think people truly understand the intelligence level that it takes to become a Navy SEAL. I think it's one of the most underestimated things that I had ever heard of, um, along with like TACP, PJs, stuff like that. These guys, yep. they're <laughs> they're basically, when they get done with training, they have at a minimum a bachelor's degree, at a minimum, yep. not to mention all the other things that they specialize in. Um, so you go through your, your SEAL training and you were like GI Jane and we know that's exactly how it is. Cause that's what the movie Shaved showed. head. Yeah. All, yep. <laughs> and they do, they, they shave everybody's head. You look the same. I've been in a, a buds instructor twice and okay. you know, I'll have, I'll have students come to me later, years later and be like, Oh, you remember me? I'm like, no, no, I don't. You Another guys all look dude. the same, yep. you know, unless you were like six, seven or, yep. or short dude. Like, I don't remember you. You all blend in. Yep. But I was a Academy instructor for three years yeah. um, at the department I'm at. And I, I probably pushed through, let's see, six or seven classes, let's say. Uh, and each are around 60 people when they start. I, they blend like I, and I run into these people constantly, you know, my department is around 2000 people. So it's it, like, you know, they're like, Hey, Levine, I'm like, what the fuck's that guy's name again? I don't, you know, I can't remember. That's them. a constant battle. Yeah. I'm like, damn, I know he looks familiar, but yeah. And, the, or then it's like, you know, Oh, you remember when such and such did this? And I'm like, what class were you out of? You know, I, 
I know the numbers that I, I taught, but they all blend together. Yeah. I don't fucking remember. I know. And you feel bad too. <laughs> yeah. Because you're like, I probably yeah. should remember because right. obviously I was important to you, but yeah. unfortunately you weren't as important yeah. to me because I had, yeah. You've got about five of us to remember. You got to, I got to remember, you know. Hundreds. Hundreds of them. Yeah. So I just, I can't, I You'll get over it. I promise. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you don't, you got bigger issues. So that's true. Yeah. They, especially if it's something very memorable. Oh, you remember when this happened? I'm like, you, under, you gotta understand. Like there's 60 of you about 20% of you do really dumb shit. That's hilarious. And yeah. so like, no, I don't remember all like this. That's a pretty big number to remember over the course of eight months. Yep. So, um, but Navy, it's weird that you went Navy seal in it, in it from a desert. Were you just it dying is. I, for water? And I wasn't, I wasn't a great swimmer, to be honest. We had a pool growing up, and I loved being in the water, uh, but I, I couldn't do the strokes well. You know, mm. I, it's funny because, I don't know, six months prior to going in, I actually had to take swim lessons, like stroke lessons, yeah, to learn how to properly do some of the strokes that we would do. And I had to take it from from a chick that was in my senior class and I felt like an absolute moron. She was a swimmer, you know what okay. I mean? And I felt like an idiot trying to take it from her and be like, yeah, I don't know how to do the strokes properly. So yeah. I, I took swimming lessons as I was yeah. like a senior. Or that's a good, le- uh, that's a good life lesson though. Humble yeah. yourself. Man. It is. We don't know everything. Um, I, that's one of my biggest pet peeves as an instructor is teaching trainees is easy. Mm-hmm. You got, they're sponges. They're hanging on every word. You yep. can't you can't do wrong. But when you train in service and you train people that have been doing the job and then the egos come into play and the I've got more time on, what are you gonna show me? Yeah. And you know, I uh it drives me insane. I'm like, look, if your glass is full, there's the door. I'm not holding you here. Just be a little bit humble. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're not learning everything that I'm putting out. Maybe you have a better way of doing something else, mm-hmm. but there's got to be some tidbits in there that you can yeah. pick up. Just shut up and kind of go through class. Yeah. Let know? me do my thing. Yeah. yeah. What, what kind of product do you think I'm going to give you if you're being an asshole to me? That's yeah. the other thing. Well, that's true. <laughs> so I may not spend a lot of time with you. Like, and you'll go on thinking that this class sucked and everybody else will be like, man, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the people I'm teaching. Exactly. So, um, how long did you go? Did you make it through buds your first time? Um, my first time, but it took me 10 months, eight months, 10 months. I was rolled two classes. You got injured? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. So we had a hard, uh, hell week and roughly 50% of the dudes actually had stress fractures or some injuries from that hell week. And they got rolled two classes and put in, I started with 220, rolled to 222. So okay. I graduated with 222. Now, when you guys roll back, do you get inserted back into the portion that you bounced out of, or do you start over with everybody else? No, you get rolled back to the portion that you completed for the most part. Um, there's some there's some times when, you, when you've been sucking through Hell Week or something, they'll make you redo Hell Week, or if you were in the middle of a phase, usually you have to start at the beginning of that phase. Uh, sometimes you'll start post big test. Like if you've already passed pool comp in second phase, you might start after that and then okay. do the rest for, makes sense. for you know, free yeah. breathing, dragger training. So I was always curious about that because, um, God, what are the, the PJs? Like, I think when you, like, you could make it almost to the end and they're like, oh, you, you either go back, like they get injured, you got to start at the beginning. Yeah. Or 
you're done. Like it's that's just your options. And I I think the premise behind that is staying as a cohort. Possibly, I don't know that for certain, but yeah, I think those guys get rolled all the way back. If you make it most of the way through, and then you get kicked out for something, but you're allowed to come back through, you'll start at the beginning. Again. Oh, it's different than being injured, yeah, and then getting rolled back. Okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, maybe the, the, same the way injury thing. You actually roll into another phase of buds PTRR. It's like a, a recycle kind of group where the instructors will work you out every day and they'll keep you fit so that you're ready to actually roll back in if you fail certain things and you get rolled for that they're supposed to you know help you pass ground proofing if you fail for that and then you roll back in and keep going so it's a whole reason i didn't do the navy or any if there was if there was water involved, that's like that's how I chose my branch of service. Everybody's like, "Oh, yeah. you just picked the Air Force because you're a nerd." And a lot I'm of like, people do, and I specifically, I'm like, if there's water involved, I'm out. I, yeah. I am. I'm scared of water. I really am. I as much as I fit. I grew up in Michigan. Um, as much as I fish and hunt and do all that, you know, duck hunt, like. I do not like being in the water yeah. and I don't necessarily like being on the water. If I can see the shore, I'm, I'm, I'm content. Hilarious, I, but I get seasick. So, Oh, so do I. I didn't was, know that. That was always fun. Yeah. I don't get seasick <clears> at like, <throat> the lake and stuff like that. But in Michigan, you got the great lakes and those are like oceans, you yeah. know, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And it's rough and it's cold, cold ass water, especially superior. Um, but Going through that, and then I went on. I went on a couple cruises. I was fine. I was okay. Um, and then we went on one cruise. I sat. We were eating dinner at the back of the boat. It was like the fancy restaurant spot, and you could see everything. I don't know what it was about the motion of the ocean, but it. I'm like, Ugh, I feel like shit. I thought I was getting sick, like actual sick, because I'd been on so many. You know, I've been yeah. two other cruises. I was fine. And I was like, Ugh. and then. I, I went and laid down, and but I went to a different section of the boat, and I think it evened me back out. Something about being at the back of that boat at that oh, yeah. time jacked me up. So then I'm like, you know, I, I had convinced myself I don't get seasick. And then I did a charter, a fish charter. A uh, four-hour fish charter went out, deep-sea fishing. I probably threw up the majority of the time. Just And then it was literally me hanging over the side of the boat, Fish would get on, and you rotate with the people that are on the boat. Each person takes a turn. Every time a fish comes up, and it'd be my turn, I'm like, yeah, I go over there, and I'm in it. I get the fish and, you know, get it up there. And then they're like, you want a picture of them? I'm like, ah. I'm going to go back over here and throw up. <laughs> <laughs> so I try to tough through it. I don't know how to fix it. Uh, I Drama I mean. Yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, That's the only way to do it. Yep. And I had to take it before many an op. Uh, we did we did a stint where we were doing um, Mio maritime interdiction operations in the northern Arabian Gulf. I was sick almost every single night because we were on the Mark Fives and those are you know the big jet boats, smaller but there's I don't know what there is maybe twenty dudes thirty dudes on that boat yeah um, and that thing is just like boom, boom, oh, yeah. and it's just like cutting through the waves and and there's diesel fumes and you're just like Ugh, yeah. God. I, I had to I had to drug up before every yeah. time. So when you were doing that, um, were you guys like getting on boats, other people's boats, like yeah, tankers usually. Oh shit! So you had to clear a tanker. Yeah. Oh, how long did that take? Dow, anywhere from a towel to a, a tanker, you know, because they were long? smuggling oil, they were smuggling dates. Dates, I think, were actually 
more more money wise than, than oil dope. at the time. Yeah. Oh, than oil. Yeah. Fuck. And these these dudes would skirt the Iranian water line. So as soon as they saw us coming, they'd jump into Iranian waters, which means we'd have to jump off the boat because we can't go into Iranian waters. But really, yeah. Who's gonna see? Yeah. <laughs> if we if we take it down there and they GPS where it is, you know, then the Iranian gunboats come and they're like, nope, that's in our property. Uh, okay. So. But we could take them if they were. On the out, you know, yeah, international waters. So, yeah, okay, they, they'd always just kind of skirt that. Now, one. I'm curious. Like a, a tanker, <clears throat> I, tankers are huge. I don't know if anybody's ever seen a tanker. We actually have the big tanker freighters in the Great Lakes, yep. constantly coming yep. in and out. And that was like one of the. You go up to the Sioux Locks in in Mackinac, uh, you know, up by the the big bridge in Michigan, and you just watch the freighters go. You know, and to tell you how strong the great lakes are they they sink freighters so it's happened so yeah. it's yeah you got ships that have been you know down there for a hundred years it's craziness but um how long does it take you guys to clear a freighter um i mean it, it totally depends on the ship and and what they've done to it so if they really didn't want us getting in Reinforce you know they weld all the hatches shut and we'd have to get in with a quickie saw or a torch and cut the dogs off um, one of the worst things they could do is pile up like one inch, two inch rope in front of the door. That shit just takes a long time to pull out. Oh. You know, if there's like a thousand feet of rope just piled up in front of doors, that's oh sucks. shit. That's uh, pretty they'd, smart. They'd put wires across so that helos couldn't fast rope on. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that they do that. Oh man, they don't like I just it. They don't I like think us it, taking over. I, I've sure. I've seen you know I've watched the Coast Guard guys that that do the the I don't know what you call it when you jump on another boat, yeah. um, but when they do that and that had I known about that job prior to joining the military, that's what I probably would have went for. Yeah, because to me that was the you know my young mind at the time stupid, and I was like that is awesome. It you know, looked cool at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now my adult self, I'm like. Let's kids do that stuff. I'm good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I spent I spent a lot of time doing that, and I'm now I'm like, eh, somebody what, else can climb. The yeah, hook, what hook was and I climb. thinking? Yes, yeah. But it reminds me of that joke. You know, there's a young bull and an old bull up on the hill, and they're looking down at all the cows. Let's go down there, and fuck one of them cows. And they're like, son, let's walk down there, fuck them all. <laughs> take your time. Yep, yep. Take your, take time. your time, guys. Um, yeah. All right, so. Let's let's transition because this is where we're starting to get into the differences. Now, when you go on a mission or when you are, maybe it's not necessarily a mission as much as it is just patrol, whatever it is, you're always in another country. You're not doing it stateside. No, training stateside, but training wise, yeah. you're outside. But yeah, so the SEALs and most military, when we are actually performing our real duties, it's always in a forward location. It's not stateside. And... Who your, I don't want to say enemies, but who the people that are not you are, are pretty easy to spot. Okay. For, for, the, for the most part. Right. Now, I'm not talking about in a war zone when everybody's trying to dress like the local public. That, that's a little different. But my point is, like, they're going to speak another language. They're going to, there's, there's just all of these factors that, you know, and you're looking for certain, you're profiling, like. Any male that's, you know, 15 to 25 years of age or whatever your war age is and these different things. These are targets and, and people that we know to keep an eye on, right? For the, For most, the most part. part. For yeah. the most part. And this is a, a generalization. I get it. 
Um, but when you're out there, there is no, you don't have to worry about cameras and what the public's going to think of what you're doing. You have a mission, you go out, you knock it out any way possible, as long as you stay within the Geneva convention and, and your ROEs, whatever they are. And as long as you handle in between that, you're good to go. Yeah. For the most part. And while you're out there, what type of training do y'all have as far as like taking a person under custody? Um, I'm not sure you can say under custody at that point because there, there is no custody. Like if right. they're in the, if they're in the house that, that, you know, you're going into. Yeah. I just because you're going in there, they're, they're the bad guys and you're going to question everybody in there. Right. You know what I mean? And try and yeah. decipher who's who and, and what's right. what I mean by custody is they're not free to leave. Once no, you guys are engaged, not. then nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. And, um, you have to, uh, you're seizing their person in a sense. And you're seizing their, if you're doing a house, you're seizing their property. Um, there's no, there are no search warrants. There's nothing like that. There's none of this stuff. It's, it's, there's the target move in, handle up, you know, if there's a threat, take the threat out. Um, there's no, ha- no yeah. deescalating. Yeah. Do you have to deescalate? Somebody's picking up a rifle. Um, uh, I mean, there's, there's certain things that you need to be looking for and not, you know, there, there was an incident where I was number one man in the door, door gets blown. I come in, I turn right. Other guy goes left and right in front of me. There's a there's a real old dude. We had just blown the door in. He's holding this this gold plated pistol, but he's holding it down here and he's just kind of staggering this around. Area, yeah. yeah. Was I within my rights to to take a shot there? I mean, he was holding the gun, but he wasn't pointing it at me. Yeah. So I had to decide what to do. Ultimately, I went over muzzle strike and and took him down, but I didn't shoot him. I could have. I could have gotten away with shooting him, but there w- there wasn't. There's not a need. Yeah, there's yeah. no need for yeah. that. You know, yeah. threat assessment. But, but yeah. you have to assess the threat, obviously. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. All right. So, um, man, the coffee's good. Uh, I love black rifle. They got hazelnut now. Just so you're supposed know. to be opening one on the 26th up near my it, house. Really? Yeah. Yeah, we go to one quite often. Um, it's just outside of my area, so we go. We hit those guys up quite a bit just to support the local business. And They're growing too. Oh yeah, yeah, getting big. I've been trying. I've reached out to Evan on LinkedIn several. Th- We're not friends. He doesn't know me, so I'm just like it's the only way I know to try to get a hold of people. Like unless you to get, get network through. Yeah, I was like, God, I would love to have him on here. Yeah, um, because if there's one thing cops love, it's coffee. Huh. And he, not kissing his ass, he makes the best coffee. Like yeah. he really does. I, I've I've tried to find better coffee. I tried that cat's poop out the the beans thing. You know, one of my buddies was stationed over there, and he got it like a pound of it, like for twenty bucks or something. Crazy. I don't see the big thing about it either. No. So I tried it, and I was like, tastes like Dunkin' Donuts coffee to me, bro. It's not not anything special, but yeah. his stuff, man. Gunship's probably my favorite. The black, and then now I've been drinking the hazelnut stuff. So really good. I don't anyway. think I've tried that actually. I'll try it. Dude, yeah, it's he just came out with it. Surprised uh yeah, he's probably had it maybe six, seven months. But yeah, it's so good. 
I, li- I just like the smell. You know, you get it, you sit and get in the truck in the morning, you go to work, and it just fills the whole truck up with yeah. that hazelnut smell. It smells like morning. Yes, it does. Getting after it. Yeah. But um, back to my point. So now here's one of the di- the major differences when it comes to police work. Now, you, I could never expect you to come over. Hey, folks, Eric Levine from Two Cops, One Donut. Want something better than Ring, Arlo, Ring, or any of the other quick launch home security systems? I've been having trouble with my Ring products. They don't read license plates on moving vehicles. The link doesn't connect fast enough to my phone. And I'm tired of getting notifications only to see like a glimpse of something that set it off. I was reached by a veteran-owned business called Agent Security. The owner, the staff, all veterans or former cops, they're kind of like the Chick-fil-A of customer service when it comes to security. They have a system that does everything companies like Ring do and more. They have pivoting cameras that track day or night. They can also read license plates and catch high-definition details that will lead police more effectively to catching the offender. Their mission is providing the best home security systems to their customers. All you have to do is start the conversation to protect our most valuable assets, our families. They listen to your needs and come up with perfect customized security solutions to protect what matters to you most. You can contact them by phone at 713-962-3558 or email info at agentsecurity.com or visit their website, agentsecurity.com. That's A-G-E-I-N-T-S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y.com. They serve the greater Houston area, North Texas, and more. Be sure to tell them that Eric Levine from Two Cops Wonder to my world and in the States here. And if I tell you you've got a wanted suspect inside that house, go in and get him. Like, there is so much more that we have to do oh, yeah. than what we got to do when we're in a forward deployed location. And I see that as your hands being constrained. Like, the, oh, there's yeah. your, your hands are tied. If our hands were tied one behind its back, you got both of them tied behind your back. There's a few things that we couldn't do, especially like 2004, 2005. Uh, we went into Fallujah. Fallujah was pretty much evacuated. There were only bad guys in there. Right. It was almost like the OK Corral. Anything goes. Because our, our head shed wasn't over there. The flagpole wasn't really over there yet. Yeah. Um, and it's the flagpole, it's the head shed, you know, that really constrained things. Because that's they're, they're pushing policy and they're pushing laws from what happens in the past. If you're starting brand new, they're like, all right, here we go. You, you guys go in and do whatever. And then after a few years, you're like, well, remember this happened and you blew a door in and, you know, a lady got a big old splinter in her eye or whatever the case is. You can't do that anymore. You, well, you can't do this anymore. You can't do. And you just get your hands tied behind your back and nothing is available to you at that point. Yeah. So. And it's you're right. That's kind of I don't want to say that's where we're at today with police work. I, I do think. It really depends on where you're at, mm-hmm. the state you're in. Um, in Texas, uh, Texas is, people don't think of it this way, but as far as police training goes, very progressive. Mm. I mean, way ahead of the curve, uh, in my opinion. Um, it may not be all cities, but the state overall, the options are there to get these this really good you know, training. Um, unfortunately, the Uvalde incident happened, and something that you could speak to, training you know you can train once a year you can train every six months but if you don't take that training and put it into practice it it's not going to be nearly as efficient or effective when real shit hits the fan so 
unless you're practicing that 40 hour class you took in clearing buildings or uh, active shooter training, which I think mm-hmm. is something that they had. Now it's a small city, a very small city. Like the worst thing that they're handling at the most is Agnes left her trash can on my side of the driveway stuff. Yeah. You know, they're not handling a lot of big things. So there's a big emphasis being put, well, they just had active shooter training. I'm like, listen, yeah, they had that training, but they don't practice it. They're, they're not handling robbery calls every day. They're not handling these high-stress calls that a city like where I'm at or the area that in the DFW area, the robberies happen all day long, all day long. People are getting, you know, seriously assaulted. There's, there's just high-stress calls constantly. So those officers that handle those calls are able to – um, unless they're rookies, but they're able to start cycling through all of their training because they're constantly putting in a practice, you know, don't suck up to the walls. They, you know, take your corner slow, all these little things that, um, you learn in these classes, you, you start to, you keep picking at them and doing them and refining them. Yeah. But as, as a city like Uvalde, how often do they get to do that stuff? Not often. And then you talk about being fired at, by a high powered rifle. Like if you've never even been next to a rifle as it's fight, like that is some soul shaking shit. And I can only imagine being at the end of the muzzle blast, like the stuff that's going to go through your head when you are not a seasoned person for these high stress stuff. And yeah. to judge them based on that, I think is fucked up. I think it's uh to, to, to Monday morning quarterback and say, well, this is what I would have done. You don't know what you would have done. You ain't never yeah. been in that position. i never been on the end of somebody shooting at me with a rifle. Pistols, yeah, but not a rifle. Yeah. I can only imagine. And so for you, as highly trained as the SEALs were, you go, it, it, and this is part of the thing I'm talking about, the continuous training. Y'all train every day when you're not doing the job. Police aren't. Yeah. And And, and you can't expect them to. Because one, they're not getting paid. In the military, we we're getting paid, you know, three sixty five, twenty four seven. Like that's just the the part of the contract. So when they say, "Hey, we're going to train today," like, okay, this is what I signed up for. This is what we agreed to. Police don't have that. You want me to go train in in grappling? Guess who's fitting the bill? Me. Yeah. Guess who's taking extra time away from their family? Me. So yeah. these are the expectations and stuff that that people talk about. But in the military, for you guys, you guys are training all the time. So when you actually went and did real world for your first time, how smooth do you think it went for you? The first time, obviously, I was a new guy. Yeah. I mean, so I kind of had to take the back seat and, and figure out what was going on. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember the first time that I got shot at. Um. I can't remember what I was feeling. I mean, I'm sure I yeah. was looking around at the other dudes that had been shot at more, and I was trying to do what they were doing. Uh, yeah. And eventually, I just kind of folded into, oh yeah, this is what, this is the sound of being shot at. Yeah. Okay, we're getting shot at again. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> that high buzz. Oh, yeah. that's a close one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, I, the the training does make a huge difference though, and mm-hmm. I I I don't know what to do about that. Um, you know. Kirk actually helps out the the cadets yeah. at the, and he does a freaking fabulous job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think more of that needs to be done. The unfortunate part is you you can't you can't force somebody to come get some training, 
even if it's free. You know what I mean? Yes. Which which is unfortunate, and nobody department wise, agency wise, wants to pay for even more stuff to right. do, whether it's shooting, whether it's grappling, whether it's you know yeah. anything. My personal opinion, just based on police work, not military. Um, I love the military combatives thing that has developed over time. Um, love it. I think they're doing a really good job with that. Uh, I'm a cop for the Air Force, security forces down in Lackland. And uh, shout out to the 802nd. And um, <laughs> the, they they do the combative stuff all the time. They've constantly got classes going on. They've got, I mean, a mat the size of my house <laughs> in, a, in a bay. You know, and the guys are doing it right. You know, they're sweating their ass off in the summertime because yeah. it's, it's in a bay and freezing their ass off in the wintertime because of the bay you got to warm that place up just through sweat um but the police side of things what i would love to see is instead of spending as much money as we put into let's say cultural awareness or um 21st century policing i it's not that i don't think these things are important i just think you're talking about a side product of use of force what ends up happening? If I get into a use of force and it's bad, then the side product of that is, always, well, because I didn't really know how to talk to that person or that culture. Okay. Well, it, if you give me the grappling training, and I'm big into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I think that's the, the, the tops, but I'm not going to say it can't be judo, it can't be catch wrestling or whatever, just grappling in general. You give me that training, and those cultural issues are going to diminish because – my confidence level is going to be through the roof if something happens. And I know me personally and just about everybody that I've worked with that's highly trained, we don't get into shit. We just don't. We're able to use our words better because of our confidence level. Yeah. And even when we get into something, we don't vapor lock and get stuck in that OODA loop. We just, like, it's, if you watch any of my body camera, and I'm not a black belt by any means, but when I get into it with people, it's it's like fighting a three-year-old. Like, come on, dude. Like, what do you, you know? Because for yeah. him, he's fighting for his life. He thinks anyway. And for me, because of my level of training and all the years that I kept doing it, it's comical. It's just like if I were to get in the swimming pool with you and try to fight you, I, I would, it would be, you would laugh and you'd destroy me. It just wouldn't happen. So I think, personally, we need to switch where we spend some of this money and force um, officers to do a minimum of like, let's say two years, two years of grappling where they have an attendance that they're supposed to abide by. And at the end of that two years, if they're not, if they haven't met that attendance, they get like a six month extension or whatever it is. Cause we get hurt and vacations yeah. and all that stuff. But you have to complete the amount of times within a certain window or your license gets suspended. So you complete that stuff. Because, like I said, I think every the base layer, everything, it's not talking, it's not... Because if you can't talk, if you're a socially awkward person, like you were talking about earlier, like, that's how the youth is today. They don't have the social skills. And this is a general statement. Um, they don't have the same social skills that you and I had to develop yeah. as kids. And now they don't have the confidence of any kind of grappling or fighting behind that either. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's another thing. I mean... That was one way that we used to squash our, our problems back in the day. You yeah. know, you'd get the schoolyard fight, whatever it is. Now these mm -hmm. kids are being destroyed psychologically 24-7 because of social media. I feel yeah. bad for them. It's terrible. Why my kids are not on there? 
Yeah, yeah, mine. Actually, that's why I'm not on there. So I don't have, I took all social media off my phone. Uh, it was absolutely wasting my time. So it's on my computer. And if somebody, you know, goes through Instagram or Facebook, I have to actually make the conscious decision to go in at night, look yeah. at my computer, re- reply, respond to them. And then the next day, uh, it's not on my phone, so I can't see anything that you're you're doing yeah. throughout the day. Because it was just wasting my time. Oh, my God. Oh, I bet. I tr- yeah, it's horrible. Dude, this, I love this. This mm-hmm. is my favorite part of this because I learned so much. Other officers learn a ton. Like, I designed this to teach the public. Yeah. And what it's ended up being is the officers reach out and like, dude, that was great. Like I had never thought of it this way or no, I didn't think of that, you know, and teaching cops more than I'm teaching yeah. anybody. And, and that's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, you'd like a, it to be everybody, it, but it's yeah, okay. if it's... it's a great byproduct. Um, and I've, I think over the court, my show's gotten a reputation enough that some of the, uh, other side of the house are starting to be, feel more comfortable. They trust yeah. me to come do a show and I'm not going to, not going to, you know, attack them or anything. I don't do that. That's just yeah. not my style. So, um, I'm, I'm hoping to start getting some more community outreach people that are trying to hold police accountable for things and, uh, first responders in general, uh, people trying to hold the military accountable. You know, I, I would like to get that side of the house, but, um, it's few and far between right now. Yeah. It's getting better and better. I've got, uh, I just had a guy that was wrongly convicted 26, 23 years he did for murder. I watched that one. Yeah, I, Derek Hamilton. That was a good one. That was a great one. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting to see. Yeah, he did an episode with me uh, remotely. Um, sound quality is not the best, guys. I'm sorry. He didn't have a mic, so he just talked through his laptop speaker. Yeah. Yeah, but no, nah, his was great. And uh, we discussed um, where the, the courts are screwing up, where police are screwing up, where what they're doing good, where we can improve from that stuff. So it was a really good conversation um, as far as the premise of this show. So uh, I look forward to that. Um, but let's get back to the training portions. Uh, okay. Yeah, so the training, you've got you've got DT already that you have to yes. do what? A certain amount of hours per year or is it every two yeah. years? It's what is it? every year. So as he's referring to defensive tactics for anybody that doesn't know the, the letterings. But um, yeah, so we do... You have um, in the academy, at least where my academy is, and this is how I think they all should be. When you start day one, you start defensive tactics day one. Okay. And it goes throughout the entirety of the academy other than when you go to the range. That's when it stops. So every day you're doing it? Every day. Every mm. day for an hour. You do that and you go do PT. Mm. Sometimes your control tactics, defensive tactics, whatever you want to call it, sometimes that bleeds a half hour into your PT time. Yeah. But... We stay until we get what we need to get done accomplished. It's not block training. I hate block training. The way that our program is, it, it develops around a fight. So all fights generally start on your feet. So now we're teaching them, you know, proper stances, um, how to how to make a fist. I mean, we have to break it down, you know, keep That's it simple. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. we have to teach people how to make a fist. So teach them, you know, where where to hold their hands, why it's important, you know. Um, certain points of the body that are vulnerable in a fight. And then we knock them down and now you're on the ground. Okay. How do you start to recover from ground? So that's the progression of the entire control tactics, the defensive tactics program is the progression of a fight. We're on our feet. We learn to throw some punches, learn to throw some kicks, learn how to defend ourselves. But if we get knocked down, now what do we do? What's the, what are the steps to get back up? What are the steps to protect our weapon? And, then we get then the, the 
we go, you recover, you're back on your feet, and now you transition. Now we went from our personal weapon defense, which is our hands, feet, fist, head, whatever, and now we switch over to uh, an intermediate weapon, you know, the baton, uh, taser, pepper spray. And what do we do? If that doesn't work, now we're switching over to deadly force. So that is the progression throughout the eight, eight months of the academy, which we just extended. Now I think it's 10 or 11 months. Which, Good. Yeah, which I think is beautiful. Yeah. Um, some police are like, just get them out here. With Eight months is a long time, but man. The product you get after 10 months, even the eight months, is superior, far superior to police academies that are pushing them out after four. Yeah. So um, block training, if anybody out here is developing a program for the police department or military, whatever it is, if you do block training, I think you're doing a big disservice because you're going to touch, like in the Air Force, I remember this, we did handcuffing. Did that. And we didn't touch that shit again until it was like test time towards the end of the academy. Yeah. And I'm like, how am I supposed to be proficient in something that you had me train for two weeks on? I probably was pretty decent in that two weeks. But when I don't touch it again, yeah, terrible. They do that for curriculum because it's a lot easier on the curricular side of the house to yeah. say, oh, we covered this. Now we're going to cover this. Now yeah. We, you know, but yeah, human minds don't retain like that. No. You have they to. They got to do it over and over and over. Keep doing it and doing it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's all of it's perishable. But you do reach a certain point, I think, where your body just will retain enough. Um, like for me, I ha- I promoted and made detective, and I haven't rolled in jujitsu regularly in probably three years. But I've gotten into it with some on the streets, and I'm fine. Like you know, for ninety nine percent of the people out there. Now, if I go against, still ride that bike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, it's fine, and it and it's it's just a great skill set to have. So if you're doing this training, like the point that I was trying to get to with the SEALs, y'all are training nonstop all the time. Like how often did you, did you get like. It's all the time. All we do is train. Yeah. And then go to the show, train and then go to the show. That's all you do. So it, it used to be on a one and a half year training cycle, six months deployed cycle. So as soon as you come back from that deployment, you go right back into a training cycle of. Six months, six months, six months. Personal training, you know, platoon training, and then larger squad training. Okay. so And, we- you, and you're constantly going to new schools, sniper, breacher, whatever. And then you're going to CQC, you know, land warfare, combat diving, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you're always training. That's all we do. And when you're training, like, what is your off time? Like, are you guys getting weekends off uh, the majority of the time? It depends on where you're training. So most of the time, I was gone. When you're training, you're pretty much gone for about 10 10 months out of the year. Okay. You're you're either at a location around the country somewhere that has really good training in that aspect, whether it's driving training or shooting training or, you know, jumping training. You go off on these trips two, three, four weeks at a time, and then you come home for a couple weeks, square away paperwork, you know, keep doing smaller training there, and then you go on another training block somewhere else. Nice. And you're always with your team, right? You're not getting bounced around? You're always with your platoon. Okay. Yeah, and your platoon is roughly, you know, 15, 20 dudes, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, And then a task unit will will plus up the size by by two, you know, two platoons together. Um, Okay. So you're, as you move through, as you progress through the training cycle, they add more and more things into the puzzle. So you'll you'll work with your sister platoon, and then maybe you'll get your dog guys in there, and then your EODs, and then your JTACs, and you know you, yeah. you'll keep adding to it, and the missions will will get progressively bigger. You know, 
So, gotcha. Um, that, that's another good point to bring up too, is when a cop's going to handle a call, he's either alone or yeah. he's got a partner. That's rough. Now, military, we don't do anything alone most yeah. of the time. Uh, <laughs> pilots, that's about the only people that are out there doing stuff by themselves. Yeah. Buds, you have a swim buddy. You call it a swim buddy. And if okay. you're more than six feet away from that dude, you're in trouble. You're really? doing you're doing something. You're going to hit the surf, getting wet, sandy, doing push ups, pull ups, running, whatever. But you better not be more than six feet away from your swim buddy. No shit. Yeah. Oh fuck. See, that'd have been another problem. My guy would have been like, "Wait for me." I'm like, "No, I gotta get off this. I gotta get out of this water." Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. There's there's giant like uh, there's giant ropes that if dudes are away from each other, we make them wear this six foot rope that like wraps around both dudes and they, they have to run everywhere on base with these ropes wrapped around them. Oh, know? that's hilarious. Remember next time. Yeah. Stay together. Yeah. You know, and this is another thing. That's, that's the military that we are yeah. allowed to do that stuff. If I screw up, that's what I'm saying. Your hands are tight. You, you don't have any of those yeah. punishments. Right. That we had. Yeah. It's it. That's your and career. they're going away from us too. I won't yeah. lie. They're they're slowly, you know, melting off the table, which is no good because yeah. all they did was was make dudes better, right? You know, but now yeah. it's it's some kind of un kinder, gentler, yeah, Navy SEALs. It's not good. Hmm. Maybe Navy penguins. Maybe we have to switch it. Possibly. I'm not going to say it's any SEALs face. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I that 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 in itself is another issue. When I hear these military people saying, "Well, the cops need to train, do this more, and do this," I'm like, "Yes, because you're coming from an environment that facilitated that stuff, and that was expected." Yeah, so maybe talk about how you can facilitate it more, because yeah. you and I can both agree, yes, you need more training. But how does that more training mm-hmm. get done? Let's figure that aspect out. I don't know yeah. whether it needs to be. I know a lot of the agencies have have money. Oh, so sure. that's yeah. That's not the problem. It's allocating it to the proper resources, to to doing what you think. And I think another part of the problem is that the people making the decisions have never been on the street. They're not out there Mm -hmm. taking rounds. They're not out there making arrests. Same thing in the military. You get up to a certain pay grade and you kind of lose track of what was going on down at those bottom ranks. Yep. That's, That's detrimental to any little community. You yeah. Know? If you forget yeah. what the actual fighting force is really fighting for, then yeah. A lot geez. of times in police work and um, this is a, just a general blanket statement. So if you're listening from another department, you're like, that's not true. Generally speaking, the way that we're going now with police work is people that are making higher ranks, very little street time, very good academically. Mm-hmm. You know, I get it. I understand on paper how that looks, but if you don't balance that out, man, then we have the same exact issues when it talks to, you know, enlisted versus officers. And then the officers that don't have a clue what you're doing down there on the ground, there's a big disconnect. And I, it's, it's unfair to do that, but you're absolutely right. Hierarchy of spending the money where it gets allocated to. I think that's a big one. And for me, if I were to put an emphasis on anything, it's going to be use of force grappling. I mean, just because you can see there's a million videos out there now um, of people that have taken, like, let's say the Henner Gracie program. Um, what is it? GST, Gracie Survival Tactics. It's a great program. If you are a department that doesn't have a program, start with them. That's beautiful. Uh, I was an instructor for that. I loved it. 
and it really applies to the job. It's not sports jujitsu where you're trying to use ankle locks and doing fancy mm-hmm. rolls and stuff. It's a street fight, like, and it teaches you the you know the raw material that you're going to need to to put that together. So start there because if I am confident going hands on, I'm less likely to lean on my Batman belt. Yeah, and when I when officers get spun up in in a situation, the things that keep you level headed is the training. So if I'm trained very proficiently, I'm a sniper, you know, Marine Corps sniper recon guy with my pistol uh, as a as an officer. That may be my go to more so than than these. And if I use a gun in a situation that, you know, when I went into a panic mode and that I just killed somebody they didn't need to. But if I get so used to using my hands that it becomes comical, that's why the way I like to put it. Um, when I do go to these things, you bet your ass I needed to. Like yeah. it's just more likely to be um, effective in that manner. And then everything else falls into place for me. It, 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 that's how my mind works with police work anyway. I don't know how it looks to you, but obviously SEAL stuff is a little different because you guys are. If I don't know, maybe you do get close enough a lot that you got to go hands on first, but. Um, I mean, if they don't have anything, you're definitely going hands on. So true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do flying neck seals. You got to take them to the ground. You got to you got to yeah. zip tie them, handcuff them. Yes. Same thing. Yeah. So yeah, we're similar in that in that regard. Yeah. Um, Searching guys. I all mean, of that. I'm trying not to go off every movie I've ever seen of a Navy SEAL where he's slowly coming up out of the water with his, you know, whatever that noose thing is, and just bagging them and pulling them back. I mean, did you do a lot of that ninja stuff? No, I didn't think so. No. <laughs> Maybe we can squash some mess while we're here, you know? No, I, we didn't I, do too much. It's funny because in the movie that I take that shot, it, the yep. guy catches them, and a yep. lot of people are like, that, that can't happen. That was only put in. That was put in at the end, actually. Uh, after the whole movie, I think, had been made, and they were showing it to to crowds to, to kind of get a feel for it. And, yeah. and I guess the, the audience was like, yeah, something needs to be put in here. So they put that in there. Dude, I it think was that's sick. how it was how sick. It went. I mean, it, it it was, it's one of those things that's just plausible enough. Yeah. It's just plausible enough. And well, there's a lot of that stuff in there. People are like, I, I thought it was supposed to be a real accurate movie. You're like, yeah, it's, it's accurate. It's based around a bunch of different scenarios that actually did happen. You know, Mikey getting shot in the eye and yeah. things like that. Um, but there's a certain amount of Hollywood that has to be in it. Otherwise, the audience, the people yeah. won't even be into it. Right. So there's, you know, the scene where you blow up a a, a truck engine and it just endos. Ever and end, you're yeah. like, well, does a, does a law rocket do that? No, it doesn't. No. It'll and then kind of veer off the road. Yeah. But you got to add that stuff. Hey, man, because I loved it. They won't, they won't enjoy it. So. Like I said, it's, it's for military guys. I think a lot of us, like we have this. I have this natural progression of movies I watch throughout the year. I watch them once a year, Act of Valor. I always, it's a summertime movie for me. Oh, that's cool. I, I, I always watch it in the summertime. Wintertime, I'm always watching Band of Brothers um, just because of the whole Christmas scene and all that yeah. stuff. I watch Band of Brothers during that time. Um, beginning of the year for my renewing is like American Sniper. Um, and then to get me over the hump, I watch Lone Survivor. I, I mean, I've got it timed out. I know what movies I like to watch and, um, Give support to another Hollywooded movie, you know, Lone Survivor. You know, if you ever read Marx's book, like, yeah. holy shit. But then you watch the movie, and I'm like, oh, man, they really, 
it's an awesome movie. Don't get me wrong, but they really uh, missed the mark. I think as far as what the book showed or depicted, but um, yeah. uh, I never read Act of Valor. Is it a book too? I think I think there is a book, but it probably. probably just follows the movie. I okay. read it. So when they when they approached you with that, like, or did you approach them with it? No, they approached us. Uh, Bandito Brothers at the time approached uh, one or two of us. Uh, They had already done like a a short film, like a recruitment video, I think, for Swick. uh, Okay. The the boat boat guys. Um, And they came to a couple of dudes and said, hey, this is what we want to do. And it grew from there. So the majority of us were all working, I think, in first phase. There was a few outside of, of Bud's phase. Uh, which is why we had time to do it. It actually went many years past that. So as I went back to SEAL Team 3, I still had to get cut loose for for filming, you know, here okay. and there. So. so, okay, explain. I've always been curious about this. What is the difference between the SEAL teams? Why is SEAL Team 6, like, always been referred to as the shit, and then you never hear about the other SEAL teams? Um, so there's, now there's four. There used to be three SEAL teams on each coast. Now there's four Um they used to be location dependent. Uh, team five was the cold weather. Team three was the desert team. Things like that. Now they all they all pretty much train how they train. Um, Damn neck or or some guys call it Damn neck. Some guys call it Dev Group. I've never went there, uh, but it was it's the research and development team. So they do a lot of the higher tier one stuff. Okay, Bin Laden raid things like that. Oh no shit. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, while you were in, as far as, uh, like setting up for a mission, because for us in the police world, um, I've worked with several specialized units. I'm in a specialized unit now. It's not anything crazy. Uh, it's just property crime stuff, but oftentimes it's, you know, here's, here's the offense. We need to investigate it, figure out who's involved. Um, once we find out who's involved, um, it's either Intel work where we, Tail them, get all the people with them identified, you know, using undercover cars, never making actual contact with them, identifying people, stuff like that. And then then you get your warrants, you get your, or you catch them in the act. That's always my favorite, like actually going out and finding, watching them hit licks and stuff. But um, while you're doing that, then you get your, your, your arrest team, you get all your stuff ready, but we have that, that briefing Hey guys, this is who they are. This is what their history is. You know, their likely avenues if they're going to run. Um, this is what they drive. This is, you know, this guy's been known to carry weapons. This guy hasn't, whatever it is. So we go through all that and then we go out, we hit it. Hopefully we catch them, do our thing. Um, then we do an after action. Like every, always do it after action. You always do. Um, so talk to each other. Hey, would we do good? Would we do bad? We, we review our body cam footage. Like, you know, hey, you came in over here on the left. Like, that was, you fucked up, dude. You put yourself in a crossfire, and you really put us in a situation. You know, unfuck that next time, you know. And, it, you know, everybody's always humble. Like, yeah, man, I can't believe I did that. Um, and what you do, you get, you as much as you try to prepare, you always got to adapt. Wrenches get yeah. thrown in. Yeah, stuff happens. So, yep. for the SEALs, what's it like? Like, how do you guys prepare? What do you guys do before a mission? Are you guys actually practicing the mission before you go do the mission? We absolutely do. Yeah. Okay. On on nearly everything we do, we'll have uh, we'll have imagery, uh, we'll have layouts of the buildings. We'll, you know, even even if you just go outside and like paint it or scrape it into the dirt, 
we'll all start in our... This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Impact Tactical. Impact is a tactical outfitter for the men and women of our military, police, fire departments, and other public safety around the country. Impact's core beliefs is that fearless men and women protect our freedom and safety should have access to the best tactical performance apparel, equipment, and tools on the market. And they shouldn't have to go broke to get it. I've used Impact for about 11 years, and I can attest that they do live up to their core values. So you get a personal recommendation from me. You can find them at impacttactical.com. That's M-P-A-K tactical.com. And be sure to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. Separate locations and, you know, infill comes here and we'll just, we call it dirt diving. We walk through dirt it dive. out out in the dirt dive. Yeah. Okay. And we'll just go through all of the motions of how we enter, how we leave, what we're doing on target, who we're calling in, all that stuff. Oh, shit. <clears throat> that's yeah. cool. See, that's another benefit that y'all have. I can't. I can't, more often than not, I can't even tell you what the layout of a building is going to be, a house. Yeah. Because generally it is a house. Um, that's why we like to get these guys in transit. That's the safest way for everybody. We try mm-hmm. to catch them, um, especially if they're, like, they're leaving the house. We'll follow them till they go to their next stop, and we'll try to get them as they're exiting their vehicle. Or yeah. we'll try to get them as they're coming back to their vehicle, however it works out. Um but the benefit in what y'all have is the intelligence side is way, way beyond what we're allowed to have. Absolutely. Again, hands tied behind your back. So this is another difference between police and military training and expectations. So imagine I would love to tell any of these military guys out there that, you know, police should do this, police should do that. Imagine that all the freedoms that you've got in your job that you're allowed to do to get the mission done yeah. And that being taken away. If I tell you, you can't, you can't know the layout of this guy's house. Well, why not? Why can't we get somebody to go? Cause you need a warrant. Yeah. Oh, we'll just get the warrant based on what? Can you get plans from the city? Sometimes, but you know how that is. How yeah. up to date is that? And there, and it, I can tell you right probably now, it takes a while. The and city doesn't have a dudes. plan for my house. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, renovations, renovations, all that stuff. You know, and a lot of the homes that we're dealing with have been built in the 60s, 70s. I guarantee they're different. Yeah. Guarantee it. So these are all factors that when people are like, why can't the cops do this? Or why don't they do it like the military does here? These are things that nobody considers because they don't do the job. I'm not sure why they don't consider that. I mean, it's, they're, they're painfully obvious, you know, and maybe it's only painless, pain, painlessly obvious for you and I, because We've come from the background and we've seen kind of both sides yeah. and you understand what it takes to get tier one imagery from the CIA and implement it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, obviously you're not going to be able to do that. And like I said, with, with the hands that are cuffed behind you, there's less and less that you can actually do. You're yeah. just kind of doing it on the fly as you go over to the dude's house or. Yeah. And a lot of you your know. info that you're getting is vetted by or is by people that have been heavily vetted. Some of the info we're getting is from a a crackhead we busted Mm -hmm. three weeks prior that is giving us intel to work off time. And, you know, it's like, do I want to depend on that? I got two daughters here. Like, you know, I'm putting all my faith in what this dude just told us. You know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah, we got we got a little bit of that, too, because obviously the the human intel goes off of people that we're meeting out on the street, too. And we're taking their word for it. And a lot of times. Stuff doesn't pan out simply because, hey, you you told us that this bad dude would be here at this time. Yeah, well, he changed up his pattern. Sorry. And there's yeah. nothing we can do. This dude is some guy that we've been paying behind the scenes, you know, to give us intel. But How much of you guys' intel is from y'all? Like, 
like from your team? Are you guys actually, you know, going plain clothes, starting to scout out areas, or is that a whole separate side of the house? And then they disseminate that to you guys, the specialized team. It's a it's a different side of the house. You got to actually be qualified to go do the sneaky peeky stuff out in the street, um, okay, plain clothes type thing. And it doesn't it doesn't really work as well overseas unless you blend in. We don't blend in that well, you know yeah. what I mean. So you can't actually just go running through the streets doing that. You actually have to find people over there that are willing to go undercover. You know, yeah. actual. Iraqis that are willing to actually go on the, the account and say, hey, look, this yeah. is, uh, I'm good buddies with him. And this yep. is, and then look how we fucked them over, the ones that actually yeah. helped us. So I'm still pissed off about that. <laughs> Families just destroyed. Um, yeah. It was horrible, but yeah. Yeah. I, good luck getting into Same with Afghanistan. I mean, yeah. there's definitely people on our side that you should have been looking out for. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Horrible, I won't get horrible. too deep in the politics side. I stay. I try to avoid that, but that one does get me irritated. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of it, it, history. It's, that's the beauty of history. Is like you've got all these things of proof of what not to do, and then we go and do it. So, and it doesn't it doesn't go very long either. Like you only have to look back one or two decades. I know. And be like, dude, it was just here. Yeah, you screwed it up twenty years ago. Like. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, we're not talking to like the history of Troy. Yeah. And <laughs> I know. We're talking about in the 80s and the, the 90s. Ink's still wet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Unreal. But um All right, sir. I think we've hammered the training side. I think I think we've shown the good differences um and you could easily go deeper into that, but um I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh so you you know, I'm sure you've told your Navy stories a million times on podcasts and TV interviews and all that stuff. So I'm going to let people research you and do that side of the house. But I want to get into, you're a knife dude. You you get out. Were you making knives while you were still in? I was. Yeah, I started, uh, I started probably 2012-ish, 2013, somewhere around there. Okay. 2012. Because I was on a rough deployment, I was actually it, it came from therapy. Oh, okay. I, I was overseas in Afghanistan. We were losing dudes, IEDs, and whatnot, uh, and I was in a rough spot. And I was just trying to find a avenue to relieve some stress. So I started pounding on some steel out in the back of our Kandahar base and grew from there. Okay, nice. Um, it's it is Suicide um, Prevention Awareness Month. Um, I just put a, a message out, you know, you don't do social media. Um, there's a group called married to the badge and it's, um, it's mostly females, but it's, it's for anybody that's married to a first responder. Um, they, that tends to be the side of the house that gets neglected the most for yeah. help because they're dealing just military. You know, we have our spouses, everybody wants to help us. Nobody's looking out for them. So it's the same in the, in the police world Well, they started this group. And they reached out to me and they're like, hey, we're, we want to put out like a message a day from, from other officers stating, you know, suicide awareness, awareness month, you know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to get help. And, you know, let's try to end the stigma about getting help for one. It's a real quick, short message, but, um, so yeah, I recorded a video. I do everything over the top. So I like did everything, sent it to him last night. But since we're talking about that therapy and stuff like that, um. It's a it's a good program to look into, Married to the Badge, so anybody out there listening, this isn't live, so you don't go worry about that. Um, so you start pounding away at steel, and you're like, 
I got to cut a motherfucker or what? what did you <laughs> no, it really was just therapy at that point. And, yeah. uh, and the research side of the house was a lot of therapy too. So I got back into my room and I was like, Oh man, what? I, I like this design. I like this. Who's, who's out there making knives that I actually like. Yeah. Um, one of the guys I kind of created Wyme cutlery after his company and his style of knives. Um, he was, a he was a Japanese bladesmith, learned from Japanese bladesmiths. He's a white guy, but he learned from Japanese bladesmiths. Spent some time over there. Oh, shit. Um, speaks the language and everything. Uh, but I loved his design of knives, especially his kitchen knives. Um, obviously, I'd come from a tactical background, so I was yeah. steeped in that. But I'm like, I, I, I much more like the kitchen aspect of knives now and i think it's because i was so steeped in the tactical i was kind of burnt out on the tactical knives at that point gotcha so i really like the the kitchen knives a mm-hmm. lot now and they're a lot more high performance knives using you know using steels they get to a much harder uh rockwell um if you don't know what you're doing you're going to chip a blade that type of thing so okay. th- these are blades that are very high performance and you got to know how to treat them right you know? But they'll cut better than any other blade out there. Nice. Um, what was the, who, can you say who it was that you? Murray Carter. Murray Carter. So he's got a company named Carter Cutlery. Okay. Idaho. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I was, I've told you about like the, I, I had no idea that you even knew who the guy was. I think it's called Half Face Blades or something like well, that. Well, he's another team guy. Yeah. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, I yeah. just knew, I had seen a picture of that knife. Yeah. specific one and i was like man that's like the perfect knife for me like that's the style of knife that i want to carry on duty or um if i you know i was stationed in montana for a while so running out there you know if i had something that i could defend myself while i'm going for a jog through the in the mountainside and stuff yeah. like that i was like man that is just a sweet ass knife i love it i like that style the design aspect of it yeah the design aspect yeah. um i just because he's got the the hole in the you saw it so yeah. uh I've never found that knife. I've never found, like, I even went to the website, and I can't even find it on the website. So maybe it was, like, a one special run he did. and then, uh, He sells out a bunch. He's he's not a forger. He doesn't forge things. And, like, even for him, you'd come to a dude that forges simply because you have all the parameters of the knife that you want, and they can be made specifically for that. You can do that in a in a stock removal way also, but you're just cutting out the shape and then sending it off to be heat treated. And then oh, okay. I actually forge everything right to a shape, and then I gotcha. heat treat it myself in house. All my Damascus is done in house. Mine's um, I really try to to do everything on a craftsmanship level, yeah. and I I want it to be the highest craftsmanship level that that is possible. So I do everything in house, even making all my own Damascus is done in house. So, okay. Um, I promised bangle you, you checked out his knife, right? I checked out How his did knife. he do for his first knife? That was awesome for his first knife. Not bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was very good. And don't worry, bangle. He doesn't care about hurting your feelings. So I just wanted you to know, I kept up my end of the deal, buddy. I don't <laughs> No, I don't care about hurting feelings. His yeah. grind's off, obviously. His bevel is a little one-sided. He already knows that from looking at it, though. Um, it's a heavy knife. I would taper the tang so that it's lighter. Okay. Um, weight ratio. But there you go. It, it takes time to do that, and that's why dudes don't do that, to to taper uh-huh. handles. So, Not bad, Bangle. Good job, buddy. No. Proud of you it's for good. an army guy. 
Not too bad. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll cut. It, it, it will kill. Um, My kid always laughs at that guy. Yeah, I love him, man. Uh, he's he's very passionate. That's the thing, too. When somebody's passionate about something. like You it see just, it. Yeah, you see it. And yeah. just like you were saying about the knives, like I could read right away. You, yeah, you, that's the, the knife I was telling you I liked, you're like, that's good. But it could use some more. It could use some more put into it. And this those is little the, tweaks. These these little there. things that it could use. It could use, you know, being all in one stop shop. So how is how is the knife business been for you since you started doing it? It's been great since yeah. I started doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Economy right now is sucking. So I think everybody feels that right now. Yeah. It's bad. But yeah, it's it's a it's a good business. I love doing it. Cause I keep it right there at my house. I have a shop right on my own property so I can cruise in and out of the house and do okay. anything I need, you know. Are you the only one that makes the blades or do you got a... Yeah, I am. So you, every blade I'm, you get is made I'm by you? I'm meticulous, so I've tried to hire people, but they don't keep the same specs that I want them to keep. Okay. It's really hard to hire somebody when you're meticulous about every little thing. I gotcha. Uh, especially with the amount of cost that the steel I use is. And, like, the learning curve is pretty steep, so you you mess up. A lot of stuff. It takes a while to grind a knife before you're grinding it just right. Okay. So you're going to blow two months worth of stock just just learning how to make knives, you know, yeah. that I can't sell because they're not good enough. So. Yeah. Um, so is it still working as a therapy for you? It is, yeah. Is it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, that's kind of how this has been for me. Like, um, not that I'm a person that I think is suffering from you know, strong PTSD stuff. Um, but I'm very obsessive compulsive when I do things. Um, and it, it, it goes in these waves. Like if I get a bow, I'll shoot that bow for a year straight and then something will happen. Something will squirrel and then, then I'm done. But I, I, I won't say I mastered it, but it came damn near close. You know, I came pretty close with that. And then I move on to the next thing, but whatever it is, it eats my time up. I always find it, whatever is Gaining that obsessiveness is a therapy for me. Yeah. But I have to keep it in check. Like, I spent all day. I release episodes every Thursday. I don't think I seen anybody yesterday. You know, my wife had to work that night. She's sleeping right now. You know, when my wife had to work that night, she's like, you didn't even see me today. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just, I just get so wrapped up into what I do. But once it's done, like today, I knew you were co- like, I was so relaxed today. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's going to be great because I got everything handled. But. Pounding away at the, the knives and stuff, man. That that does seem like a good time. You told me you have a, a law enforcement uh, class to make a knife or something like that? Yeah, so I, I have law enforcement guys come over and they, well, I, I sell a bladesmithing class on my website. But for law enforcement, I let them do it at a much cheaper rate. Okay. Because uh, I like those dudes coming in to, to understand blades. And it works into the same, you know, training aspect. I want them to understand what it's what it's going to take to actually use a knife yeah. in a combat situation. If they get their gun taken away from them and the last thing they have is their knife, mm-hmm. how are they going to use that in a life or death scenario? You know, right. It, it's all training. So it, I think it really helps when they come over and they take a hunk of steel and in 16, 12 hours, they make it into a knife and they go through that whole process of understanding how it's made and how it cuts and how to sharpen it and, you know, what so, its limitations are, they do all that. So they do that in a day? Two days. Two It'll days. Take two okay. full days to do that for, oh, for like, a knife my size. Like the one knife. you're carrying. Yeah. Okay. Dude, I want to do that. It's a cool course, and I think it really opens up dudes' eyes. Like, 
dude, I had no idea how blades were made or yeah. how cool they could be, you know, or yeah. how easy they are under the tutelage of somebody to actually make a, a badass yeah. knife. I need to get you connected with one of our instructors. His name's George Lopez, not the comedian. Um, prior Marine, um, he had come up with the concept. He's like, hey, we're, it's all of us instructors. And this is one of the things I love about my department. When I talk about the progressiveness, we don't just take the curriculum we have and we just sit there and think, this is, we're good. This is it. We're constantly trying to fill gaps. Like, where, yeah. where are we missing? And George is the knife guy. Like, that is George. Like, everybody knows George has six to seven knives on him at one time. Not really, but he's got knives. And uh, George is like, he's talking to us as instructors. He's like, Levine, you carry a knife? He's like, yeah. I was like, generally I have two. Um, I have one on my vest and one on my parson. He's like, okay. Jessica, female, you carry a knife? Yeah, I always got a pocket knife. Okay. Goes down the line. You know, five, six instructors. You ever been trained in it? It's a knife. What do you mean? Yeah. It's like, have you ever been trained in it? No. She's like, do you know where target areas are? I'm just going to go stabby stab. Like, that's what put the pointy end into him. That's, that's it. And, you know, and so he's he's making his point. Yeah, no pun intended. And he's like, all right, I, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be out of pocket for the next week or two. He starts doing his research, putting together a class, creates a class. Now we have a knife class. I mean, it's been around for knife defense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. If, if shit hits the fan, knowing what each blade style is designed for, yeah. Um, whether it's the, what do they call it? A Tonto blade or stabbing, slashing. Yeah. yeah. All the differences in, in the blades. Um, so you can look at your knife and go, oh, that's the type of knife I have. And this is what its function is designed for versus what it can get away with. And then um, tactical places to carry. Like these are considerations. Like if you have your knife and that's your last form of defense or the only thing you can get to, can you get to it? Do you know how to get to it? Do you know how to deploy it? Do you yeah. know what the difference between, you know, the full tang and then your folding knives and stuff like that? So, um it, open that class in itself and helping him develop it. And when I say help him, I just, he's bouncing stuff off of me. I didn't know the stuff he's teaching, um, learning, you know, I, he taught me why they would execute a soldier way back in the day with the sword, like in, in the clavicle area, all the, the arteries and stuff. It was a called a quick death, a clean death for a soldier. Uh, do you see that scene in, um, gladiator? He's like, give me a clean death. You know, and you're like, what the fuck is that supposed to mean? And George is like, they actually placed it in the wrong spot. Where they were trying to do it was back in the spinal cord. That's not what it was supposed to be. It's supposed to be here. Yeah. And I was like, no shit. So we learned all this stuff in this knife course. But it would be neat to have you, you could be a guest speaker or something, and explain, like you said, you can have these badass knives. I wouldn't know the difference. Like, I would have to learn how to use the type of blade you're talking about because... I've been, I'm used to these guys. Like, yeah, I, I, if, if I ruin this knife, I'm not crying. If I ruin one of your knives, I'm crying. There, there, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears behind your knives. Well, it'd be your knife at that point. You made the thing. You know what I mean? Well, yes. You go through the course, you make the knife and now you understand, dude, I know exactly how to fix this. I break the tip off. I can regrind and bring it right back to what it was. Yeah. So that's, that's the great thing about understanding knives from like a bladesmithing aspect, mm-hmm. you don't worry about ruining a knife anymore because it, it really is just a knife. You can make another one. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But 
You're so, of, of course, they're, you're, they're you're, pricey. Yeah, I was going to say, your knives aren't, you know, yeah. if I did the class, that's different. And plus, it's I made it, so it's on me. But knowing that Wyme made this knife, his fucking name's right there on it, and it cost me, you know, 500 bucks for this knife or whatever the price is, yeah. like that. It probably will sit there a lot. <laughs> and see, we don't we don't want them to be sitting there. I know. We want them to actually used. Yes. Use that thing. Yeah. So do needed you make, to be used. So, so do you make um, steak knives? Yep. You do. Yeah. That's what steak I knives, want. barbecue knives, all kinds of. I'd like cool a stuff. set of steak knives because the yeah. steak knives I have are from our wedding, oh, like they're, in they're 05. Killer. Yeah, and because they're so serrated, like I don't know yet. I don't know how to sharpen. I don't like serrations. Yeah, I don't. So either. steak knives, if they're going to be sharp knives, they don't need serrations. You don't need to rip meat. You that's want what to cleanly slice meat. Okay, that's right. why I always wondered why they do that because it drives me insane. And it's because the the maker can protect tiny portions while you're scraping it on a plate. Only the tips get dull, and inside won't get dull because it's not hitting. It's not anything. contacting yeah. anything other than meat. Okay, that makes sense. Which really doesn't. It doesn't work out because you're always going to dull those little tips anyway, and then it gets to ripping meat. So okay, I take them out. I actually grind out like I have a bench made just like that. Yeah, half serrated. I just ground out all the serrations. All the serrations. Yeah, I don't like them because okay. I know how to sharpen, and I sharpen all my stuff on water stones, wet stones. Oh, do you? Yeah, that's. I've how got I a. I don't know what to call it. It's a kit, but it's you know it goes from like eight hundred to. 200 and it holds the ain't like everything is done for you so yeah. it takes idiots like me that don't know how to just use the whetstone and stuff learn how to use whetstone it, yeah you will see a huge difference really but my knives yeah. are fucking sharp <laughs> i mean they'll i'm, be, I'm be sure they could be sharper sharp. yeah shaving sharp oh yeah holy shit i do depending the, on the steel i mean you you can get yeah. you can get your stuff absolutely shaving sharp i do the, the old school test oh it works it's shaved paper <laughs> and in the course, you'll learn a lot about that, too. I mean, yeah. if if you can cut paper, uh, a Nikuri is going to cut paper different with the same sharpness edge. It's going to cut differently than my neck knife. Really? Simply because the profile of the grind is different. You know, you're trying to wedge a piece of steel in a piece of paper. It's going to rip because it's just trying to wedge it in. Okay. It's, it's past the point of your edge. But if you get an edge like this, geometry that is really thin, like a Nikuri or something for vegetables, mm -hmm. it'll glide right through it. So, so the tests are a little bit deceiving also. Gotcha. Okay. Unfortunately. How do you test it? Depends on the knife. Okay. Gotcha. Each knife is, is different. Shaving actually is a very good test. for If, if it'll peel off some hair, hair an arm. That's, a, that's a good test. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I've I'm, I'm been learning the the angles. Um, I guess the I sharpen at like a 21 degree. I'll tell you a secret. That doesn't matter. No, no. Oh, I mean, it, every every Japanese company out there is like, well, this this has a 14 degree bevel and this is a 18 degree. Just get a whetstone and learn whatever angle is your angle, and go with it. Okay. Don't worry about all that stupid angle crap. I'm, <laughs> I'm right. serious. I like it. Hey. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. Not not when you're learning. And very few people are gonna really cut something and go, "Oh, this only has a 12 degree angle." Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody's gonna know that. My idea, or I guess what I was taught about, is the 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 less the angle or the 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 degree goes down, um, the sharper it is. 
the thinner the edge. The thinner the edge. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I'm learning, man. I'm well, gonna take your course. Come on over. Yeah. And we'll, I'll I'll get some buddies. I get shoot. I get my team. My team's all knife toting guys. They love that stuff. They'd um, love to build one. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Put your own handle on it. You can pick any kind of handle material, do it anyway. You can any design. That's the coolest thing is you can forge any design you want. So if you have a special design where you're like, dude, I saw this thing on the internet and it was shaped like this, draw it out. Okay. Come over, build it exactly to the specs that you want it. That's oh. the cool thing. Okay. It may look fucked up, but <laughs> I won't let it get You won't let it get that now. way? Okay. No, most of the time. Most of the time, I've got to do at least the end part of grinding because grinding is is tough for somebody that's new at it. Yeah, They'll, you know it's heat treated at that point. So if you blow the heat treat, your knife's done. Okay. If you heat it up too much, yeah. Um, and then, you know, if you can't really go back and do it. You're just gonna have to forge another one, which is another eight hours getting it all the way up to the point of grinding again. Yeah. So, so, um, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer this question, but in the course of your, um, relieving your PTSD and stuff like that, how has it gone? Is it, is it vastly improved through this course? Is this something that you would highly recommend to everybody or is this just kind of worked for you? Well, obviously I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah. You mean to find their own Outlet. cool thing to do? Yeah. I, I think that's absolutely necessary. Okay. Yeah. Find something that you love to do that you can put your everything into, mm -hmm. and that will greatly increase your chance of being a productive member of society. Yeah, yeah, great yeah. father, yeah. warrior, whatever. It'll it'll come right back. And yeah, are you? Is there anything else you do for PTSD issues? Seek counseling. Talk to your wife. Whatever it is. My wife obviously is a huge yeah. supporter. You know, so mm -hmm. it, and and really, it's funny because. A lot of people think Navy SEALs are heroes. Navy SEALs are obviously going to turn around and point right to their spouse and be like, no, I'm not the hero. Yeah. The, the SEAL wife is definitely the hero. They do everything while, we, while we're gone, right. you know. We, sub, we have to lean on them, you know, when we come back because right. we're broken in yeah. aspect. Uh, we, don't, we don't understand the, you know, we don't. There's kids that are sick at home. They're we don't understand where the house is. We're not paying bills. We're not doing any of that crap. We're doing the one thing that we're good at overseas. Yeah. And that you wanted to do. Yeah. She, <laughs> she didn't sign and up to the do government all that. pays a million dollars a year per seal with all the ammo and yep. everything, you know? So yeah. Um, it's and, pretty easy from our end. Right. And then that's like, again, when I was talking about supporting the spouses, I mean, that just goes to show like nothing's bigger than that. Man. Yeah. And the ones that are good at it, the ones that have accepted that role, like my wife, like she knows not to put something terrible on my mind mm -hmm. when I'm on the job. Like, you know, hey, the the dishwasher just broke and it's flooding the house or whatever it is. She'll wait. Yeah, I, I didn't teach her that. I didn't tell her to do that, but she knows I don't need to be think nothing. I, ca I can't do anything from where I'm at. Just like you guys can't do anything from when you're, you're deployed out. So, uh, that's why it's such a, like you said, it's, it's good to give them kudos for the ones that step into that role because it's so much bigger than what people think. It absolutely and, is. And when you're, when you're in a position that you have to keep a hundred percent focus on the mission, you know, me being out there on the street, you being out there in a forward deployed location, whatever it is, and you got to be a hundred percent into it. Because yeah. if you're not, somebody else on your team is going to get hurt, um, or 
you're going to get hurt. One of the two. So you got to keep your mind focused. Like so you're right, man. That is a that's a good outlet. I'm the type of person. I have had police and military in my family. My dad. That picture up there is me. And my dad. Same department. Um, we. Uh, I learned from his mess ups, in my opinion. Like yeah. I saw all the friends that he had divorce rates in police work and in a military over 90% divorce rate. Yeah. Navy seals. Oh yeah. That's insane. Yeah. That is insane. I didn't know it was that high. Damn. So yeah, if you get one that stays, you got, (laughs) you got a diamond in the rough. Yeah, absolutely do. Um, but I seen all these comment, you know, the, the officers, they, they get home, they're lethargic. They don't do much. Because their hypervigilance at work is way up here. They're working midnights. So they don't see the sun that often. Their diet's shit because they're eating nighttime food that's available. Yeah. Um, I have taken the approach of doing the complete opposite. I didn't get taught that, but I just saw the writing on the wall. I'm like, well, what they do doesn't work. So how do I fix that? Yeah. Well, one, my spouse, if I have a bad call, I tell her about it. Like, I don't hide, you know, anything. You know, she, she knows. If I come home right away and I'm going into the kid's room while they're sleeping she knows something bad happened she's you know what's up you talk about it you know and as soon as i unburden it and tell her about it like it it just instantly starts that's what helps me and i've i don't she's not so sensitive that i think i can't tell her the details if she asks the details i tell her i don't Mm -hmm. keep anything back from her and i think for us that's helped that's worked and she understands where i'm coming from a lot more and for me I get to unburden that stuff and not hold it and feel like I can only talk about it through dark humor with my boys, you know, drinking and doing that shit that that's the, that's the, the cycle for us, Uh, the dark humor and, and, and not talking to our family about it. We just talk to our boys who do the job Yeah, or girls. No offense. No. And and that's the same with us. Uh, I think I found the same thing coming home and, leaning on Shannon's shoulders, that was probably the best therapy that I could have done. And I had, I had been through light bar therapy and talking to people and all kinds of crazy stuff. But the, the one big help was support at home. And if you don't have that, yeah, I can see how guys do what they do. Yeah. And it's, it's rough to see, but it's, it definitely was Mrs. Wyme. It definitely was Shannon that, that pulled me back and has always kept me, where I needed to be. That's so. cool. How how was the military um as far as when you guys are coming back are, is was the military like pushing anything to help y'all? At first they weren't, then they started doing things um you know, retreats after we'd come back from deployment, uh stopovers in Germany or something, decompression stops yeah. to spend a week and kind of decompress. Um you know, coming back to Disney World, Disneyland with a family for a week or so after we'd come back. So they started implementing that sort of thing, which I think helped. Yeah. But that's, well, I mean, shit, 20 year war or more. We learned a lot. Takes a toll. When, when, when it comes to the PTSD side, I don't even think they call it PTSD now. It's like yeah. PTSI or PTI, something like that. Post traumatic injury. Uh, yeah, it's and like I, I'd probably agree with that more. I yeah. call it PTS. PTS. I just, I just yeah. leave it at PTS because I don't think that it's a a disorder. Yeah, yeah, I don't either. I just, I've, it's been beating my head. Yeah, you know, so I was, I got in in '06, and it was starting to come around already. You know, they were having discussions about it and whatnot, but um, PTSD, PTSD. I mean, they're just constantly talking about it, and then the movies didn't help because then you started getting all the, you know, what's yeah. that? 
movie, uh, Jar Jarhead, and you know all the mm. other ones that try to kind of highlight PTSD and talk about it. But yeah, I think you're right. We do need to change the language. I like I said, I think they were calling it PTI or PT. SI, post-traumatic stress, injury, post-traumatic injury. Something. I'm down with that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is an injury. It is an injury. Yeah. yeah. And it, 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 it goes off of TBI also, traumatic brain, brain injury. injury. So, yes. yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, you're right. But, well, brother, we're about an hour and a half in. Is there any other messages you got? I think we. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Anything I want to talk about? Yeah. You can uh, ask any questions. You can go down <laughs> any rabbit hole and I'll probably, <laughs> I've been there before. All right. Um, you're, you got your knife company, uh, Wyoming Cutlery. Um, so people can check that out. Um, don't hit him up on social media cause he's not going to see it. I will see it. <laughs> Mrs. Wyoming sees it. And then she, she, oh, she, relays. she does all, she does all social media. She does the website. She does packaging, sending, she does all the, she does all the important stuff. Okay. So when somebody honest. gets a knife from you, what's the process like? Like, let's say I order a knife. Is it something that's already made? It depends made? whether you're ordering off the website, because we do have knives ready to go on the website, or whether you want something custom made, which can be done too. So. Okay. So if I want a sword? You'll you'll pay a pretty penny. Make me a samurai sword. I mean, I'm not going to pay for it, but I <laughs> I have no need for this is my samurai sword. I've made I've made one. Or- this episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and seracoding. Your seracote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, aka the Sarge. He can seracote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas 761. You can call them at 682-304-0363. And you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com. That's www.hrhcombatarms.com. This is is about as close to a samurai sword as I get. And the thing I hate about this is this. This is not not conducive like i'm always worried like if i ever have to go into a, a stabbing motion that my hands doesn't just stop go. enough yeah it doesn't stop nothing so yeah. uh it's strictly for cutting stuff <laughs> that's all i use it for it's cut couple seat belts and some people's actual belts so i for- do make a lot of barbecue knives uh kitchen knives i make a ton of neck knives because people people started going with these recently uh, versus folding knives from the pocket. Those seem to fall off a lot. I always have this on. You know, I can go pick up kids from the school, tuck yeah. it in, nobody sees it. I can have it yeah. out when I'm working. It's always available to use. I can use it with one hand, put it back with one hand. So, yeah, it's it's nice. Yeah, yeah. I've never, I've never tried carrying a neck knife, but, you know, in the last seven years, I got convinced to switch from my, um, I used to carry like, a, what do they call that? Kidney carry or appendix carry, whatever it is. No, this behind the yeah. back. Behind the back. Yeah. That, that's typically when I carry it in the waistband, concealed. That's where I would have it. And then I had a friend teach me carrying yeah. it up front. And I'm like, dude, that I feel like my fat roll is going to hang over. It. Like, that doesn't seem comfortable. And I was like, I don't want to shoot myself in the wiener either. So he's like, No, dude, I'm telling you, that's use faster draw. Everything's more tactically sound. You have a natural pocket there. It yeah. doesn't matter how fat you are. Um, that. That will always work. Just pull those rolls back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just get used to lifting that up. So that's where uh, I carry. And so uh, I, I carry the there place. now. And then you know my my pocket knife um, that I always carry is always on my right side. Um, I probably could afford to start carrying a neck knife. I never thought about it. 
Yeah. So most people haven't. Yeah. Actually, most people don't even know about it until they see a video or something. Yeah. They're like, "Ooh, I, I didn't know you yeah. could carry something right there." And you should probably train with it too. So I, you know, part of JKD, I do a lot of jujitsu in there. Okay. So I have it on when I'm rolling too, and I'll pull out my trainer because I built a yeah. trainer that has okay. the exact specs. Of I was going to say, one I don't that recommend I anybody rolling with a real knife. No, it's a trainer. <laughs> and I'll pull that out, and the fight goes somewhere else with that because obviously, right then and there, <laughs> yeah. you're only worried about one thing. Yep. So, yeah. Fade the blade. Yep. yep. That's, the, that's the rule. But no, that's pretty neat, man. I'm you glad. should you should try it. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah, I'm going to. Um, now I, I do know George, my buddy. I know he carried a neck knife, and I just, I did. To me, it seemed like it was an inconvenience. But now that I see two people carrying it like that, and you said a lot of people like to use it, I've probably sold more of those than anything else. Really? Yeah. Okay. Those things sell really well. Yeah, I like the handle that you got on yours too. It's very festive. Festive. It's my Van Halen. <laughs> That's his Van Halen handle. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. I dude, I played a lot of guitar before before I got into knife making. I haven't played since. Really? Like knife making just took just over. Just took it over? Yep. Oh shit. I am musically um not talented. Uh although if I'm in the car, I will sing my ass off. I love nice. I love singing. I'm not good at it. That's Funny enough, that's that's good for PTS and TBI. Singing? Yeah. Oh man. Talking, reading out loud. Okay. All good for. I do all TBI. those things, but I didn't do it to. Maybe that's why I don't Which have is probably issues. Probably why you're really comfortable talking on podcasts and stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, you could be right there. It's big. Yeah. Oh man, I love. I didn't realize it, but talking yeah. and reading out loud is huge for PTS. No shit. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I didn't intend for this to go down a, P, you know, post traumatic stress, uh, informal. Go where we go. Class, but yeah, this is. I, I like it just because, one, I think hearing it from an officer, hearing it from uh, a veteran, it always goes a long way, um, especially because we, God, we lose so many. I know. Constantly. Um, Sick of going to funerals. Yeah, yeah. I'm a part of a program called Brotherhood for the Fallen, and basically any officer that's killed violently in the line of duty, so obviously it's not a suicidal thing, but killed violently in the line of duty, we go out, we present the family. Um, with a check that, you know, the, the, the chapter, that's part of my paycheck goes into that fund. And then every time this happens, we go out and we basically giving them our money to try to help in any way we can. I think we yeah. usually about $2,000. Nice. So whatever it is. And then just to show that we're all one big family and we'll help support each other. Um, I've explained several times on here that the, what the thin blue line is to me. Yeah. Um, I hate that it's a, it's the thin line between us and evil. Like, okay, easy there. Like, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree with that. But for me, the way that I look at it is if you were to fall and or I die. Let's say I die in the line of duty. If I worked an office job, they're going to throw a lunch in. There's maybe whoever is really close to me at work is going to check in on my family. It'll fade after a year or two. But if I die in the line of duty here, not only is it going to be you, it's going to be a whole slew of people that my daughter is going to have somebody there at prom. You know, the other daughter is going to have somebody there at a recital. My wife's not going to have to worry about, you know, building something in the backyard or whatever it is for the rest of their lives. And that, that to me, that's what the thin blue line is. So, and it, and that's not just for police. 
I mean, we've got, you know, the military flag. It's got the green line and firefighters got the red line. It's, it all means the same stuff. Yeah. That's support. Support. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what that stuff means. Um, I get the the warrior mentality that we want to have as police, but I like the guardian mentality. I like that idea, you know. Helps. I lean more towards that also. You do you? Yeah. yeah. I Maybe it's because we're getting older. How old are you? 46. 46? Okay, I'm 40. So A lot of it has to do that. You know, the older you get, the the more you, you don't want to jump out of planes and do that, but you, you want to teach younger generations, hey, this is these are the mistakes we've made. This Learn is the direction that we need to be going if if we're going to yeah. advance civilization. Yeah. It seems like we're backsliding now. Yeah. I, I'm at that point where if my unit deploys, because um, I'm in the IMA reserves. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm. So individual mobilization augmentee, fancy mm. term for I'm attached to an active duty unit. I'm not attached to a reserve unit. Mm. So those guys do it 365, 24-7. Um, and it's police. They're military cops, uh, security forces for the Air Force. But, um, like, when they deploy, my job is just to backfill the jobs here at home. Yeah. Pretty, okay. pretty simple. Um, but I can deploy with them if I want. And I'm uh, – luckily, everything's ended now. But um, for the most part, if if they were to go, like, I've trained a lot of these guys. And now I'm like, oh. I need an overwatch. Like I need to be there to like, that's my mindset. I'm like, it, I have no, no desire to go over there, but yeah, I want to be there for them and, and help them avoid and, and have that, you know how it is. You've got that You've guy got on your knowledge. team. Yeah. You got that guy on your team that you just, you know, he knows what to do every time. Not saying I do guys. Um, but it's such a comfort and it's such a confidence booster knowing that that person is there. Yeah. So did you guys have a, who is, who is your guy on your team for the most part that everybody's like, that's our dude? Well, it, it, it builds as you go. So as you progress through the ranks, eventually you're that dude. You're that chief or, yeah. you know, lieutenant yeah. where everybody looks at you and is like, this is the dude that has been in combat more than anybody else, so he should know what to do. Yeah. yeah. What was your rank? I was a senior chief when I left. Senior chief? So okay. E8. E8. Oh, you almost made it. Oh, so close. It gets political. Now, I I didn't want to make it. Actually, I probably could have if I stayed. They were offering 150 grand for six more years. Oh, I didn't want to do that. Yeah, six years. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. I'm good with my 20 and out. Yeah, it's that's that was a hard move for me separating from active duty. Yeah, and uh, I was yours was after how long? Four years. I just did my four years, and um, I was wanting to do six. I wanted to be canine handler, and. I got, you know, it is they, oh, we'll get you, we'll, we'll get you into that after a year. We just need you in this position for another year until we can get somebody trained Needs up. Needs of the military. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, you realize I'm going to separate if you don't give this to me. Yeah. And they're like, well, we hate to see you go. And I'm, I'm just like, still, yeah. the military's still that way, man. I'm like, you guys, you just don't. They won't change. They need those yeah. bodies for the jobs that they need on the paper. Numbers. That's Do it. it. Do that job and that's it. Yeah. Maybe after so long of doing it, all right, we'll give you sniper school. But then, yeah, you know. yeah. And and the the crazy part is, is they would rather bring in somebody new, spend all that yeah. money training him, hoping he gets to where they need him to be, versus just retaining the person that already knows. And, yeah, military is horrible at that. I know. They spend so much money doing that. God, you. Well, so much of your money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They blow your money. Yeah. My money. Yeah. Exactly. So. Well, brother, I think we had a good show. Cool. I th- I'm, I'm happy with this one. Sounds I, good. I'm very thankful you came out. Um, Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate I, it. I know 
I know SEAL guys and military guys, they hate hearing it, but I appreciate your service, dude. You, you're a hero to me. Thank you. And I mean that, and I love what you're doing with the knife stuff and just the fact that, that it's a therapy for you. I'm hoping somebody hears it and they jump into it. Um, I will be going to a class. So anybody from my department listening to this, if you want to get signed up, how, what's the max capacity you do for this? I'm only doing one at a time. Oh, and it's I'm only doing, yeah, I'm only doing, uh, I can only do roughly one a month. So there's, it's, it's backed up a little bit, but throw your name in and okay. contact me. Yeah. Well, I get priority. I'm cooler. So of course you do. Uh, <laughs> plus I write warrants for a living. So you might get a surprise when you get pulled over. <laughs> like this can go away. Why All you got to do is let me in the class. <laughs> That's fucked up. I'm joking. I'm going to keep that camera rolling. Then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just recorded myself. One word versus another. Yep. Yep. No worries. But <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Yep.